Welcome back to Cairo Nights. Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. It's fun to talk about something other than politics. Especially with this Sunday being Super Bowl Sunday. I can say that because I'm not trying to sell you tickets to an event or a TV to watch it on or a chair to sit it in. I can say Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, all I want. Isn't it great? What a country we live in. Freedom, freedom, freedom. You know, a lot of folks who are not football fans will be forced to watch the Super Bowl this Sunday because it's it's a major event. There's actually legislation proposed, I think it's in Tennessee, that they want to make the Monday after Super Bowl Sunday a national holiday, Super Bowl Monday. It's been deemed the least productive day in America because everybody watches the big game. It goes long, yada, yada. You talk about the game all Monday. The problem is they want to get rid of Columbus Day, which has in some states transitioned into Indigenous Peoples Day. And whether you think that's a great idea or not, that's Columbus Day is a holiday. And Indigenous Peoples Day is, I think, a better way to celebrate the discovery of America by honoring the folks who were here when the illegal immigrants showed up on their Mayflower. But that's just it's. A little too political. The commercials are often a bigger topic than the game on the Monday after Super Bowl. You know, Super Bowl commercials, it, they're so anticipated. There are TV shows dedicated to Super Bowl commercials, lists of the greatest Super Bowl commercials of all time. I don't know what the Super Bowls or the spots are selling for this year. I think a 30 is upwards of $4 million for a 30 second spot in the Super Bowl. Last year, I think we had five crypto ads in the Super Bowl. There'll be none this year. I can promise you that. If you're a betting man, head to Vegas and take the odds that no crypto spots will be in the Super Bowl this year. And, you know, we can all remember our favorite Super Bowl ad, whether it's the Clydesdale horses, right? The Budweiser Clydesdales, the horses playing football, the horse and the, and the puppy last year. I think it was a year before last you know, Budweiser's had a string of great Super Bowls. The, the, remember the frogs? Budweiser, right? That went national. That went global. That became everyday vernacular in our culture. You know, uh, Pepsi's had a great run of Super Bowl ads between Britney Spears or Cindy Crawford. You know, they, they've had ads that have just gotten the buzz. Doritos have had great Super Bowl ads. Have you seen the one yet? Uh, it's already out. The Popcorners ad featuring Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. What is it from? It is. It's the ad they're going to use for the Super Bowl, but they're selling this uh, chip called Popcorners. Okay, and they're reprising their roles as Heisenberg as, right, and, and Pinkman. Yeah, yeah. And Tuco even makes an appearance. Nice. You know, that's not the first time that Walter White has been in a Super Bowl ad. I don't know if you remember Insurance, right? Insurance had an ad about you know, well, don't settle for you, you know, sorta. When you consider your insurance, what if your pharmacist was sort of a pharmacist and this lady shows up at a pharmacy and literally Cranston comes out as Walter White with a yellow jumpsuit on and the gas man, the whole bit as her pharmacist. I mean, Super Bowl ads are notorious. I think my favorite, all, Be- Betty White did the uh, Snickers. You're not yourself, you know, here, have a Snickers. Betty White did that and was that clod on the, on the, you know, touch football game. Couldn't get his act together. He's Betty White out there. Some of them have been phenomenal. Um, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird playing a game of horse in a Super Bowl ad. The Where's the Beef? 
was a Super Bowl ad. My favorite, I think my favorite of all time was the Volkswagen. Remember little Darth Vader? The kid in the Darth Vader trying to use the force around the house. And then the kid's in the driveway trying to start their Volkswagen. And his dad's in with the remote start. And the kid, as Darth Vader, this, you know, six-year-old, is in the driveway starting his car as Darth Vader. That one, I get, I get choked up just thinking about that ad. That is the power of advertising. Advertising is, it drives everything in our economy. If we can't convince you to buy it, you're not going to buy it. You know, advertising, marketing is everything. It's so, it's looked down upon because people in advertising play on our emotions. You know, they, they often misrepresent the product that they're trying to sell. But advertising drives the bus. It, is, it drives the engine of our economy. If we can't get you to buy it, everything, everything falls apart. Do you remember the Xerox ad with the monk? Right, it was like hand copying the Bible over and over again, and the guy had a Xerox machine. It was it's it was fantastic marketing. So there's an ad that's it's already on the air, but it will be in the Super Bowl. And I've seen these ads, and when I saw these ads, I was kind of gobsmacked when I saw them because they're they're phenomenal. They're showing. Street scenes of, of, of like, say, I, I'm assuming it's Los Angeles. They're showing tip, tip, typical, stereotypical, you know, minorities, uh, people of color, people that you are assuming are gangbangers with tattoos, neck tattoos, low riders, right? And there's a narrative, you know, unwelcome by society, you know, all these derogatory statements. And it's like, it's a Jesus ad. Jesus was wrongly judged. Jesus, it was everything that you see. They're given this narrative about being unwelcome and a rebel and a troublemaker or all, you know, all these pejorative terms. And it's a Jesus ad. And I think it is so well done and so powerful. And it reminds people, hey, look, you know, Sometimes outcasts were, you know, that's who, that's who you guys decided was worthy of our time and our attention and our heart and our compassion. When we talk about the homeless, when we talk about drug addicts, when we talk about people trying to seek a better life in this country and they're vilified as a caravan or as, well, you know, and I'm not going to get political on this. It's, this is a human nature kind of thing. Okay, this is a humanity kind of thing for me. I, I'm... I'm not very religious, okay? I was raised in a, in a Catholic home. I couldn't tell you the last time I was in church when there wasn't somebody stiff in a coffin, okay? It, 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 my faith is, does not drive my life, although it, it's probably clearly obvious from the goof-ups I've had and the doubt and self-doubt and that I've taken along with me, the baggage that I carry is probably because of lack of faith, if I was being completely honest with myself, and here we have these ads for Jesus that are going to run in the Super Bowl that just speak to basic Christian beliefs that we all, I think, hold and too quickly forget or abandon because we've been told that people are, you know, villainous, others, the different than us, coming to take our jobs, country, whatever, way of life, whatever it is, and completely bailing as we're, we're, we're a Christian nation, right? We're founded on 
Christian principles. It seems so hypocritical. Well, it depends on which Christian principles you view as core Christian principles. I mean, a lot of the culture war stuff has nothing to do with the core message of Christianity. I, I, I couldn't said it better. You know, so people are already up in arms about these ads. People think that it's, you know, you know, a, a commercial for Jesus Christ. Who's well, more mad about them, people who don't believe or people that do? That's a great question. That's, the story that I'm reading is uh, from NPR. And you know, they don't really say who's opposing to them. They just say social media is opposed to there have been up there have been opposition to these on social media. What is social media not opposed to? Seriously. Other than good grammar and common boy, that's, sense. Boy, that's a great point. That really is. You know, it's the loudest voices represent the smallest slice of society when it comes to social media. You know, people trending on Twitter, people get their news from Twitter, their Twitter account, but his Twitter account, you know, ten percent of the country is driving the narrative because they're the loudest ten percent. It seems to me. I've heard that stat. I think it's true. It bears. I think it bears out to be true. I, I think these. It's it's so funny. It's a very liberal ad. Okay, it's about acceptance and immigrants and tolerance and loving thy neighbor and charity. And it's that's a very liberal, libtard, snowflake point of view, right? Those are all Christian values. I thought the other side of the aisle had the market on Christian values, the family core values, the moral the moral high ground. You know, I often talk about what divides us being so, so much less than what unites us. I know that's a cliche everybody likes to throw around. But boy, if, if this doesn't example this doesn't prove it to be true, if this isn't the perfect example of why it's true that we have so much more uniting us than dividing us. And I know that's a pie-in-the-sky way to look at things. I get that. We got real problems that need real solutions. But, you know, xenophobia and vilifying a, a, a section of our community is not how we get to the answers. But what has put a lot of people off in terms of religion as an institution has been the politicization of it. Yes, And so if these ads just invite people to explore, look into who Jesus is, what the Christian message is, it sounds like a very positive thing. And it's certainly not something anybody should be offended by, because if you don't believe, you don't believe, and you can just ignore it. But I think it's a positive representation for Christianity as a whole. I would would think it's it's a great commercial, first off, and to my point earlier, right? Advertising is everything in every business. And it's a great commercial. Like, like like Matt said, it speaks to what the fundamental tenets of Christianity are supposed to be. Brotherhood, compassion, inclusion, charity. So, you know, if you're running spots for Jesus, does that mean business is bad for the Catholic Church? Of course it is. Of course it is. Attendance is down. Belief is down. A lot of people say that's the root core of our problems here in this country. We stopped praying in schools. That's when hell, all hell broke loose, no pun intended. Hey, they're still doing testing in schools, right? I think there's always going to be prayer in schools. <laughs> At least when I tested. That's the only time I ever believed. Um, 
So uh, in this article on NPR, the campaign comes across comes out at a time when there's a significant decline in organized religion. And, and to quote uh, a spokesperson for the Christian Christianity Today says that I think spending that much money again in a, is a kind of admission on their part that there's a problem. And, you know, there is a problem for organized religion in America. It's declining. Congregations are declining. And these ads, too, are a way to chide their fellow Christians to say, this is what Jesus is like. And maybe we know it. And maybe we're not acting like Jesus. You know, it's so easy to vilify other religions, right? Like, I mean, the the Muslim faith, Islam. But the... (laughs) And, and and I know that that's a whole different topic of extremism. I'm not talking about extremism. I'm talking about the fundamental tenets of, Christ, of, of any religion. The fact that ex- extremists cloak themselves in religion does not indict entire religions. It right, indicts absolutely, people. Absolutely right. Spot on. And, and that, boy, that is so true. I don't judge conservatives by ex- conservative extremists. I don't. I, that'd, be, that'd be crazy. I don't want... Myself as a liberal, democratically, you know, rooted liberal American to be judged by the extremes of my my party. Some of those guys are nuts. Those the fringes on both sides have lost their flipping mind. And there's a center in this country that used to be able to give and take compromise, you know, and make concessions to a point of view you don't agree with without vilifying that point of view. Listening to it without demonizing it, saying they're the enemy of the country, they want to, they want to come and oh, whatever. You've, you've all heard the hyperbole. I don't need to repeat it. And we have to keep in mind that all of these labels and camps are relative to our American experience. A yeah. conservative in the UK might do completely different things. Some of the policies that are people think, you know, Bernie Sanders, oh, he's far left. But some of the policies he supports are supported by conservative parties and allied nations. So it really is a relative thing that's not worth getting that mad about. And it's also that's a great example. It's also true that positions of the far left extremist left, you know, were once positions of. Oh, I don't know. The Republican Party? Didn't Richard Nixon start the EPA? Didn't Richard Nixon, a Republican president, start the the need for, you know, clean water and clean air and its value to our society, being able to stay healthy and work and and support and drive the economy as a healthy American? Well, even a stopped crook is right twice a day. (laughs) I'm not pointing fingers. I mean, you know, conservation... How can that not be an, a root element of conservatism? I mean, Teddy Roosevelt was a Republican. He started the national park system. It's also a religious virtue in Christianity. They call it stewardship of the earth. Seriously. You know, are we such a slave to, to business and the economy and those elements of the Republican Party that you forget what stewardship of the, of the country is, what conservative conservation is, and it's overall well-being for the country as a whole i'm not pointing fingers at one party or the other i'm pointing fingers at those who cloak themselves in religion i.e christianity and don't seem to practice much christian belief or christian practices and the fact that when jesus is running spots in the super bowl people have a problem with it 
I think they're fantastic. And and like all things in this country, if it ain't for you, you know what? Don't go sign up. You know, I don't want to buy half the cars sold in Super Bowl ads. Doesn't mean I don't respect their right to run those ads. Honestly, though, Spike, neither of us can afford half the cars sold I can't sold afford in any of the cars sold in Super Bowl ads. Fair enough. That's true. Or the beers that are sold. Or the snack foods that are sold. You oh, know, I can always afford beer and snack food. But yeah, True. I guess my point being, you know, hey, it's okay for an ad to come on and you not agree with it without having you lose your gourd over it. You know, that's the thing about, you know, like, social media. You've got the right to scroll past everything without getting bent out of shape or commenting on it. What a country. Little free will, little backbones. Great. What made America great? It takes a great. little more backbone than it a does. large number of people have. It's it's so easy to get offended these days. It's not always the best option for anybody. It's Kyron Heights. I'm Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. We'll be right back. Speaking of things we couldn't do this year or this era, because you know we're also woke. We did the girl with emphysema. Just uh, talk about talk about inappropriate radio. Uh, welcome back to Car Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill. This is uh, Sergio Mendez, still touring at 81 wow. years old. How cool is that? That's that's way cool. Um, and Paul Anka's coming right to the to the uh, I think the Muckle shoot, and he's got to be 80s. He's got to be. Boy, I tell you, the the casino rock and roll retirement program is awesome. Folks uh, can afford to be paid what they're worth by casinos because casinos do make a good bit of money. You know, they, they're they're taking care of their communities when it comes to Native American tribal ca- casinos in this area. The benefits to the communities of our indigenous tribes here in the Northwest that have the luxury of a casino, a gambling license, they build wonderful facilities, they bring in top shelf entertainment, and they take care of their, their own. They invest in their community, whether it's housing, healthcare, education, infrastructure, you name it. Some of the best examples of how to spend money from a government perspective can be found in our local indigenous communities and some of the best examples of conscious capitalism, too. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And they're paying Foghat great money or whomever it might be. You know, I, I, I love that. I love that Sergio Mendez is touring. Do we know where he's playing? It's probably Jazz Alley, right? Yeah, Not it's even. Jazz Alley. Yeah. yeah. Another great Seattle legendary institution is Jazz Alley. They, they love their, their art. And they're artists. They do a great job bringing people in. Oh. You know, it's funny. I was, I was, this is a good time to talk about this. There's a story that I want to talk about. And I heard it mentioned on John Curley and Sherry Elliker today. And it's about how we don't make friends anymore. How it's harder to make friends. And I think it was 60-some percent of us lost most of our friends during the pandemic 
And 50, 50% say they lost at least a friend during the pandemic. 60-some percent of Americans say they lost, most, lost contact with most of their friends during the pandemic. And we just, we don't make friends anymore. We don't have as many friends as we used to. And John and Cher were trying to figure out why. And it's not hard to, to figure out why. You know, we don't have, there are a lot of key factors, a lot of factors key into this. Um, most of the friends we make through our youth, we, we drift away from. It's very rare to keep contact with your friends. As we move into our lives and move on with our lives, some leave town that we were born and raised in. Or just, you know, get married, get a job, hunker down nine to five, raise the kids, you know, pay the bills, meet your responsibilities. It's tough to keep your friends. And when you don't, you know, go to work, if you're working from home, if you don't go to the office anymore, there's a, there's a group of office friends that we always, we make. I love the people that work here. I consider that some, a lot of people I work here to be not just coworkers or compatriots, but, but friends. You especially, Matt Butler, board up, maestro of the of Cairo Knights. But I, I'm going to become like a Seinfeld character eventually, and just require people to start referring to me as maestro. I love that. It's a great radio name too, by the way. Great, 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 great handle. But Matt Butler's a great handle too. So, um, but Sherry hit on it today, and I think this more so than any other factor. I think this is the key to why, and this study was done. They interviewed a lot of people to find out where our friendships have gone and why we stopped staying in contact with our friends. I think Sherry hit it on the nose. I think social media is probably the most detrimental element of why we don't have as many friends as we used to. Because while social media lets us connect to networks of people and we have acquaintances and we have interaction on a daily basis with so many people, but we don't know them. We don't rely on their advice, their companionship, their support, their loyalty. You know, they're, they're interactions, but they're not friends. And we don't, when we didn't have social media, because we're like, as John pointed out today, we're, we're communal creatures. We're social creatures by nature. That's how humanity survived. By becoming social, by well, ha- hanging together. It, another element of it is, too, that when you add somebody on social media and then see their stream of consciousness posting, you learn too much about them, and then it's harder to be their friend. That's, that's true, too. We do, we do feel free to air all of our dirty laundry on social media. We get bold. We get keyboard strong on social media. You know, social media, it's funny. Um, to me, social media is a lot like alcohol. Social media doesn't change people. It just amplifies them. And I don't mean that in the literal term of your opinion being amplified out into the world. It's true that it does that. But if you're a decent person, you're a decent person on social media. If you're a bit of a tool by nature, you're a tool on social media. If you're a bully or or a braggadocious person by nature, that's who you are on your social media platforms. If you're disingenuous, false as a person, that's who you are on social media. It's easier. It's an amplifier. It's a magnifying glass of your soul. And I think alcohol is the same way. I was talking to Frank off air, a little bit off air, talking about some of the things in our lives, you know, nothing about the topics we've been covering. But I made the comment that alcohol doesn't change anybody. 
It just emboldens or amplifies who they are. Happy people are happy drunks. Angry people are angry drunks. Violent people are violent drunks. It just amplifies who we, who, are, who we really are, our characteristics. I think social media does the same thing. But what social media does with regard to friendship, it doesn't require you to get out and meet people, to get out and interact with people who could build relationships with you and become your friend. You're getting that interaction on a daily basis that we need as a social animal from the comfort of our own home. Some people overemphasize the animal part of the equation as opposed to the social. True that. Like I said, it, it allows you to be... Be you without consequence sometimes. You know, like the keyboard warriors, and I've fallen victim to that myself. I've been, I've been far too it bold. It is an endorphin hit sometimes to troll or to troll back. That's the unfortunate part of it, is there is a momentary pleasure that, you know, normal human beings can get from it. But then if you have a conscience, you regret it. Now, to, you know, but, but that's the only time you regret it, if you have a conscience. Used to be. When you had to really go out and meet people and hang with people, and you said something butt nugget stupid, you got socked. Which is not necessarily a better trade-off either, I suppose. Well, no, but it did teach you boundaries, which are not around on social media. There are no consequences for you being the worst version of yourself online. What do you get banned? You get blocked. Well, you don't get, you don't get popped and, and in the then schnoz. you have a million people advocating for you to get unbanned because they think you should be able to see, <laughs> say whatever heinous thing you want to on social media. Yeah, you know, and we can we can get into that again. So but the we've, consequences we've been down there. are yeah. minimal. They are. They are. If if not if not non-existent. So, you know, we may never be able to have the kind of relationships that were had in previous generations. We will never have the kind of friend groups. If you do, you're lucky. If you do, hold on to them. Hold on to your friends. You know, who is it? Um, oh, I'll tell you who it was. Dory Monson. For, for like him or hate him or, or for all his faults, the guy cared about people. And you would get a random text from Dory. Hey, I was just thinking about you. How's it going? You know, no matter what you thought of the guy's politics or, or anything else, what are he thought of yours? Because Dory and I agreed on basically nothing, except our love of family, our love of the city, our love of sports. You know, we had a lot in common. You're both passionate radio guys. Yeah. But the fact that he just reached out, he thought about you, he, he acted on it. That's a, that's a rare and, and disappearing quality. You know, we don't, we don't make friends like we used to. We lost touch with our friends during the pandemic. They're still out there, but they'd love to hear from you. Why not? Cost nothing. Rather than being keyboard strong, be keyboard kind. You know, care a little bit. That's that's cotton candy, cheese balls, all hell, I know. Here's a better version. Be best. Be best. Who is that? What brilliant first lady said that? I know. Melania Trump. Said she was right. Be best. Why not? So easy to be the worst version of ourselves. Let's take a little time to be the best version of ourselves. If you've lost touch with your friends, reach out. By the way, Lee Oscar, the harmonica player in war, played with my band. Lee Oscar's a local treasure. Great guy. Great, great guy. I haven't talked to him far too long. I'm going to text him right now. We'll be right back after these after I text my friend Lee Oscar of war.
I'm sticking to We're making guy. friends. By the way, I, I texted Lee Oscar during the break. I wasn't kidding. Uh, sometimes I got to listen to my own advice, or listen to my own ramblings. You know, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. For somebody you haven't thought of in a while, and you've been thinking about him, reach out. Let him know. They'd love to hear from you. Lee Oscar is a local, uh, well, he's an international star. War. Lee is the harmonica player for war. And Lee Oscar um, had his own line of, has his own line of harmonicas. Okay. And Lee's played with our band a few times, the Impalers. And just the, the greatest guy, just the greatest guy, you know, an iconic musician, one of the best harmonica players on the face of the earth. And when we had the honor of going with World Vision to visit uh, five different continents throughout my life, my career in radio, I should say. You know, we would go to, we went to Bangladesh, we went to Senegal, we went to Zambia, we went to the Dominican Republic, we went to the Amazon River, and we would visit, you know, remote places of, of destitute poverty, and we would go as Americans, and you see third world situations beneath third world situations, because we're visiting these countries where, you know, there are sects, hierarchies of civilization, the people, the haves and the have-nots. You think it's bad in this country? Try going to some of the most impoverished places there on Earth. There are caste systems. Ca- that's what it is, caste not, systems. Yes. Thank you. Not sex, caste. I appreciate you, Matt. Um, well, what we figured out was when you visit a remote village or a, a slum somewhere in South America or, or in Bangladesh or in Africa or wherever, you know, you, you can bring a couple of things to make their lives a little better on an instant basis. One of the things we brought were soccer balls everywhere we went because soccer literally is the international game because you one ball in the whole town is playing. Every kid in town can play at some point, right? So we brought soccer balls with us and little hand pumps, and we, we, we figured out we could deflate them and bring literally a, a Navy duffel bag full of soccer balls and little hand pumps, and we'd bring harmonicas. And we would give the, I don't mean to be stereotypical, or but we would give like the, the father of a family or... You know, the, the chief of a village, um, don't mean to be, you know, again, I don't mean to be, I'm not making, saying that with any disrespect. The leader of every community, people who had, you know, who World Vision had, you know, met with and worked with and were instrumental in that, that, that village's life, that community's life. We would give them a harmonica and the smile, you know, that would come across their face. I guarantee you there are blues men in Zambia right now. Because we dropped these Lee Oscar harmonicas on them uh, in Bangladesh on the Amazon. We went, we went on a medical boat for a week where this boat has a month-long circuit. And it just goes from night to night to night to night, travels by night, and mornings they're at a new village along the Amazon. That is completely cut off from, I mean, there are businesses, electricity, of course, but all the commerce, all the travel, all the transit is by the river. There are no roads to these villages. The only time these people just see medical assistance is when this World Vision-sponsored boat would show up one day a month and care for the people in town who needed medical attention. And now there are just this slew of harmonicas there and in Africa and in Asia that we got to go do these things, South America, and because of my friendly Oscar. And I hadn't thought about him in a couple of years, hadn't talked to him in probably five, six, seven years. 
And that's on me. So I did something about it. I texted my friend Lee. Well, you can tell him I'm a huge fan of war. What I a great will. band. I'm telling you. And, you know, another one of those guys, all the God-given musical talent that you could possibly hope for, and still the nicest, sweetest, down-to-earth guy. Just a regular Joe who could play his ass off. Anyway. Lee Oscar, a white Dane, a Danish gentleman, you know, in a, in a soul band. Held his own, man. So, yeah, we can make friends. We can still make friends. Just gotta, it's a garden. you got to tend to it, man. A texter texted in. Sounds like you're preaching tonight, man. Would you rather I was complaining? There's a lot of places for that. Like, I can get preaching at 105. Oh, you know, spirit. Okay. I know you can. I don't mean to preach. All I hear is bitching some days on the radio. I don't want to do that. I do that far too often. Try and get away from that. Plus, it's a music station. They don't Seriously. preach there anyway. <laughs> Me with the facts. Lee just texted back, man. Glad to hear you're doing well. Happy New Year. Talk to you soon. I love this life. Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler. We'll be right back.